You're entering the GOAT Zoom Room. Welcome to the GOAT Zoom Room. We are back. I'm Caitlin, that's Andy, and we are joined today by Racing ITV's Jess Stafford. She is a dear friend of mine, a very good on-air racing personality, and a great handicapper. Jess, what's up? Hi. Oh, I'm so happy to join you guys. Um, I feel a million miles away, but so close at the same time. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been chatting to racing fans in Canada and in America about the racing in the UK. But I think with Maidan coming up, I feel like it's bringing us all so closer together because we've got something that we can all get excited about. But also there's so much been happening over in the UK that I can't wait to give you more insight on um, because it's just a really busy time of racing and it's fab. Ooh, do tell. Um, well, so obviously we're a week from Cheltenham. Um, Cheltenham just finished on um, last Friday. And as you guys both know, the Cheltenham Festival is our Olympics, as we like to call it, of the National Hunt Racing Game. National Hunt Racing, which probably doesn't have as much um, prosperity maybe in, in America, and it's not possibly like slightly less um, developed for whatever reason, um, is massive here. Massive. We've got the climate, I suppose, um, to make make it make it work and um we've got some brilliant brilliant national hunt steeplechase racehorses and um the Cheltenham Festival is the pinnacle the showdown where they all compete for championship races and um from Tuesday until Friday last week we had 28 races um multiple grade one races championship races as I said and it was just one story after the other. And to put it into context, racing in the UK and Ireland came into Cheltenham in a bad way. Um, and the only way I can compare it for you guys is if any kind of scandal, drug scandal that there has been, and I was with you, Kate, when we were at the Breeders' Cup in 2019 and California racing were coming into a really bad, they were really licking their wounds, they were having a hard time. Um, and that's the only way I can compare it probably even worse because we're talking horse welfare. We're talking a trainer called Gordon Elliott that was banned just a couple of weeks before Cheltenham festival kicked off um, for a very incriminating picture of himself with a, with a dead horse. And it's just rocked our sport massively. And there's no point shying away from what happened because the whole world knows Um but what racing needed to do is like pull its socks up and work out how we can prove to the world why the sport, as, as you guys have done over in the US when things have been bad, why racing is great and what it is about the sport that we love and the stories and the people and the horses. And with COVID and no race and no spectators, it all became about the horses again, which I love because all the fanfare and the, the socializing and all of that, that goes to one side. It's just about the horse. And um, we were blessed really to have some of the best stories, the best moments I can ever remember of the Charlton Festival. Um, I think if I can wrap it up, cause I could talk to you about it for hours. I think the number one um, moment was um, Rachel Blackmore uh, 
winning on honeysuckle in the champion hurdle and that started a week off that she will never forget she is 31 years of age she has been cutting her teeth in national hunt racing for a long time but she has elevated over the last couple of years couple of seasons and she is now the best jockey in national hunt racing and Cheltenham festival cemented that as she was the leading jockey she won the champion hurdle. She won the Ryanair chase on Alaho, which was just absolutely rip-roaring win. Um, she was tactically like so astute on a, on a racetrack, which is, can be very complex. Um, and all her rides were just sensational. She had such confidence last week. And anyone that wants to have any interest in racing in the UK and, and Ireland of, um, from a national hunt perspective, I encourage them to watch her and how she rides racetracks. She's brilliant. Um, we also had the Irish versus, versus the English. There's always a clash. We are licking our wounds, the, the English, because we were absolutely destroyed by the Irish. And I suppose, again, the only way that I can compare it is like East versus West over, over with you guys. But worse, because it's an actual country versus country and the Irish love to beat us, especially on our home turf. Um, and some of the big names were Manella Indo, who won the Gold Cup for Henry de Bromhead, um, Monkfish, who won the Brown Advisory, and he could be a future Gold Cup horse. Obviously mentioned Honeysuckle um, as well, and Alaho. Um, but they won 21 races, and we were completely bamboozled by them. <laughs> and um, it was, yeah, it was hard watching, but it was brilliant quality. And I think one horse that you guys will have heard of and most people know of is Tiger Roll. He's the multiple, the two-time Grand National winner, which is the, one of the biggest races in the world. And he's been on the down, on a downward trajectory over the last year. And he came back to run in the cross-country race, which is a very unusual discipline style race, um, usually for older horses and He's won the race a few times. He's won at Cheltenham a few times, but everyone had written, written, written him off. And he just blitzed the field, completely dominated and won with his head in his chest and looked like, he looked like a six-year-old, not an 11-year-old. Um, and it was just a heartwarming moment. Um, and um, yeah, the stories just ebbed and flowed throughout the week. And I couldn't, I could, as I said, I could be here hours going through it all, but Rachel Blackmore, the Irish dominating and probably Tiger Roll on his comeback were the three highlights. Yeah, it was something that I personally really, really enjoyed. Um, this was, I, it's something that I've been getting into, but this is really the first year that I, you know, talked about it for a website, handicapped it for a website and really got into it. I, Andy, I believe we were the only site in the U.S. that offered selections for the Cheltenham races. Yeah, I think, but, I think we were. Yeah, we were. And, I mean, it caught some decent fanfare over here this year. Of course, you know, a lot of racing fans don't think it's super safe. But I think this was probably the safest Cheltenham meeting that I've seen since I've been watching in probably the past five or six years. Oh, yeah. And that was an, another thing. We were lucky. There was, there was one fatality um, and it was actually in the cross country, but it, it, it actually happened. It didn't happen because of a fall. Mm -hmm. um, so there wasn't anything too dramatic. And actually looking at some of the racing, that final hurdle and the final fence could suddenly sometimes catch horses out. And there was maybe one horse that fell at the 
at the final hurdle in the Supreme. And maybe having no crowds, it wasn't so, it wasn't so wild. Like the, the crowd is the roar of Cheltenham is famous and there wasn't any mm-hmm. of that. So there's a slightly different um, atmosphere. Um, but, you know, it has its drama and Voyalan, who's one of the superstars of National Hunt Racing, he actually fell. He was fine. He was absolutely fine. No bother to him. But it, it is, I think, educating people about National Hunt Racing is so important. It does look, as you say, not safe. And it does look like we are adding additional um, parameters to horses that are already doing so much for us. And what are we asking of them? But they love it. Just like they love to race, they are bred to jump and they adore it. And horses, as we say, and this is what we said, the industry said after these incriminating image, that incriminating image came out was that at the end of the day, our horses love to race and they wouldn't do it and they wouldn't show up and, and have the performances that they had last week unless they were happy horses that were at the peak of their fitness and their levels. So it was it was brilliant and i'm pleased that people were getting into it over with you guys did you get um did you get much feedback about it at all we got a decent amount of feedback back from it um there's a couple group chats that we were in where people were like having little competitions they're like oh my gosh we're going to sweep the card today like some of the selections were i i thought were pretty good we did pretty well i'd say um if we kept a tally we were definitely up versus down for the way we betted this year on it um so I was really quite pleased. I think TVG and Twin Spires both got a lot of betting action on it, probably more than they've ever had. I think a lot of it is also because, you know, people are working from home. There's some people that are off work right now and it just adds something during the week. And I know there are some people that were really talking about it that were talking about like, oh, there's it, it had everything. It had good stories. It had favorites. It had long shot prices. Like it's just something that it, it had something for everyone this year. Um, yeah. So have you been talking a lot Dubai World Cup wise on some other sites or is this something you've really been looking forward to? Because I know there's, I mean, there is some European horses going to be in it this year, but it's mm-hmm. really a lot of Dubai based animals this year. There is. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of animals that are horses that have just avoided coming back to the UK or had a quite a quiet season. Um, but there's also horses that have chosen to go over there unexpectedly in my mind. Like Mogul, I was not expecting this at all. Um, it's an interesting decision from them, from the Bally Doyle team to bring them over, bring him over with all the issues. Now, I've literally just been, I've just seen, we've just been speaking to um, Frankie Dettori's agent, who is talking about the, the red tape that, jockeys are going to have to go through to get back from Dubai back over to the UK and it is painful to go through all of that you've got to do it and really feel like your horses this is the right race for them I mean the prize money is brilliant but it's just a lot a lot of as I said red, red tape so I wasn't surprised that we'd have smaller um input from the UK or even from Europe um but I I i the ones that we do have that aren't Godolphin, because you know, obviously the Godolphin lot that that's this is their this is their Cheltenham, you know, this yep. is their showpiece, this is their centerpiece, and they want to make it spec like special year after year. Um, but it's the ones that aren't connected in that way that I was surprised to see. Um, but 
you know, I think they've got some nice contenders in there. Um, it's just, it's the horses that are turning up without any maiden prep that I'm like, like speaking colours, for example, of Joseph O'Brien. Um, that's a one prep run in Dundalk and didn't doesn't look necessarily like he's absolutely spot on after that race for it. But, you know, it just shows the healthy competition that exists and fair play to D- D- the Dubai World Cup for making this happen and getting the horses there, just like they did in Saudi. I mean, the money in Saudi is insane, so you, you'd be fool not to. But all I do know is that it's a, it's a pain to get to. as and And I'm sure it's been the same for the US-based horses. Oh yeah, we've had, it, it was horrible for Saudi. Um, we had horses and jockeys stuck in various corners of the world trying to get there. And eventually everybody, but a couple of the jockeys, I think Johnny Velasquez and Umberto Raspoli, um, unfortunately didn't make it to Saudi, but I think they're both going to be in um, Dubai. So I think that's going to go off without a hitch. But um, I, I kind of noticed this year, America kind of really brought the B squad this time they didn't bring really a lot of A-list horses. Probably the biggest name we have over there is Sleepy Eyes Todd's in the Dubai World Cup. Um, Mystic Guide has been running over here, but he is a Godolphin horse. Um, is American trained though, so we those really are our main two that are over there. Um, Jesus's team, he is Venezuelan trained, but um, stabled over here in America. So we have all of those horses that I think are in with a shot, but. As far as the other grade one races, I, I think we're kind of very much up against it this time. No, it seems it, but also there aren't, considering like Mishrif has made quite the admirable, they had that team and made the admirable decision to go from Saudi onto, um, onto Dubai, whereas there aren't a huge amount of the other run. I know I like looking through the field, there aren't, it's not, there's not a huge amount that's, that I've also made that decision um and actually Mishrif went back to the UK um and was in Newmarket and apparently was bouncing like bouncing out of his skin and that's why they made the decision to bring him over um because they just need to run him and there's just nothing here yet um so like without sounding slightly like damning of it it might for that I, I feel like it could have been nearly a little bit of an afterthought like why not let's go for it and the mm-hmm. mogul throwing in throwing thrown into it but you know we're having in the u in the u in europe we're having a bit of the changing of the guard like a lot of our good 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 horses retired at the end of last year um so this is a moment and this season is going to be you know who's our next enable where is she um you know all, all of that we've uh, our, our guineas horses kamiko he retired shishkin retired um Mohathir retired you know they've all were you know unlike other than stradivarius we don't have a lot of established grade one horses and mishrif represents that um but i was expecting those two and i keep mentioning them because i'm just so excited to see them run i was expecting to see them run for the first time perhaps in the Jubmont International in the summer or even the ARC. So yeah. we actually have a, something, a really, really exciting race from a European perspective to start, kind of sort of start the season off. It really kind of shocked me until I really thought about the difference that I've heard between the Saudi Arabian dirt and the Maidan dirt. I've heard the kickback is way worse in Maidan and it's very, very much different. I was really surprised that if they were going to bring 
Mishraf to Maidan that he opted to go into the Shima Classic versus the Dubai World Cup because I think the Shima turned up way tougher than the World Cup. Oh yeah. Oh, I agree. Oh, no, and I agree with about the point about the the dirt conditions. Apparently in Saudi, it's it's beautiful. Um, but I I don't know. I think after I think after Saudi, it was like it kind of might have caught everyone by surprise how how brilliantly he took to it. Like he wasn't a he wasn't a short price. He was what seven eight to one, based mm-hmm. on the fact that he was unproven. Um, he did it. He did it brilliantly, and he, he and he beat the the U.S. dirt horses. But I don't think I don't think that was what what they were always intending intending to do. I think the opportunities for him long term are always going to be on turf. M- mixing matching horses throughout the season, you could you could do. But as you say. Yes, the race in Maidan probably would have been the easier option, but I don't think he needs to be in the easier option. I think he, mm-hmm. I think, I think he's very much like he should be the favourite come Saturday, shouldn't he? The only question mark is the trip, and I think that's the only thing that I was, again, a bit surprised by. But he, I feel like he must have improved. He's gonna. I think he's improved from what he did last time in Saudi, and they seem like massively confident. I'm so excited to see this horse in person because he's just over exceeded everyone's expectations race after race. Like this time if I make believe, which who's not done a huge amount. Um, but he, this time last year, he came into his three-year-old career really under the radar and he keeps improving and impressing. So I think his owner probably was massively keen um, to win his their race in his you know in his backyard, um, and now it's probably a case of doing the best for him on on the turf. But you know, I could be wrong. They might come back. I'd love to see him in Keeneland at the end of the year. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I know they've definitely talked about um, lofty expectations of trying to decide what they're going to do for the year, whether they're going to go to the Ark, whether they're going to go to the Breeders' Cup Turf or the Breeders' Cup Classic, or if they're going to do both. So Breeders' Cup Classic. I has to be. Could, has to be. I mean, he just reminds me so much of throwback horses like Giants Causeway, Swain, those types of horses that could run on both dirt and turf. And I mean, those are so hard to come by because they don't really run horses like that anymore. But he's he's just, just the type that I think would fit into the classic. Yeah, you just slide Thunder Snow. Oh, I forget about Thunder Snow. Yeah. He's, he's that horse that horse could run anywhere and in any state and any country and you know he showed he showed he was a real the real deal thunder snow because they didn't have the um dubai world cup night last year thunder snow just feels like lifetimes ago to me like this is this is my favorite i i told andy and he couldn't believe it i said this is literally my favorite night of racing the entire year over breeders cup over kentucky derby over everything i just love it because everybody comes together for one big race meet and it's just one night it's hong kong europe us australia just it's everything japan really has a big contingent there this year so i'm just very excited. yeah and that's what i was in- and excited to know because i know you've got so much knowledge when it comes to japanese horses like what do we have here like what have we got to look forward to because 
um, you know, based on performances and based on ratings as well. Um, the, um, the Japanese horses come in with a big, big profile. I just, I don't know where they fit, you know, they, they, I suppose when they've come over for, for the likes of the arc and from our perspective and like Deirdre, she did so well as well, but they're always never really able to perform at the highest of levels. Yeah. I think, I think if, oops, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go, go, go. I'm just wondering what, where, where we should be ranking these ones. I think, I think, I think Matera Sky is one of those horses that everybody overbets because yep. because they just see the form and think, oh, this horse this horse is going to win. But he likes to he, – he's so – I don't think he wants to win. And I think it's gotten to a point to where it's let me finish second and I'm okay with that. And I think they're better horses at that level that are going to probably are, – are probably going to end up winning. I think – the one horse that I'm really interested in is uh, Pink Kamehameha after his last effort in the uh, in the Saudi Derby because I think he's going to be tough to beat in this spot too. I'm going to pull an Andrew Champagne. This is what Matera Sky is. Okay. <laughs> A hanger. A hanger. I just like... I can't with him in every race. Everybody's like, Matera Sky is finally going to do it. And I'm like, no, he's going to get caught at the wire like he always does. He's going to run second or third, even though he is good enough to win the Dubai Golden Shaheen. I, there's going to be somebody in there that's going to catch him. And I haven't really looked deep into the Shaheen. I'm going to pull it up really quickly. Um, Capano yeah, put- kicking that won the um, Saudi sprint really good horse but I was actually very shocked by that performance he's more of a grade two or a grade three type over there in Japan um I think when it comes to the Shaheen this year um Switzerland kind of has an outside chance his form this year is pretty good um Yaupon's a really really nice horse um Wildman Jack is kind of on the come up he's not my favorite horse I don't think he's really grade one quality but also this race this year really isn't grade one quality so i mean he fits in with the puzzle and justin's also a nice horse um jalen journey i would probably toss he's not really you know, a great source i was i i really didn't think that would sw- i think if you go back and you look at switzerland's race in the saudi sprint i thought he was going to end up winning and then he just for whatever reason, he got kicked back in his face, and he and he stopped. And since they did, since they did the brain surgery on him at the beginning of the year, to where they made him a gelding, I think he's an entirely different horse, and he wants to. He, I think he's probably going to be the one horse that I want to play in this spot in this race because I think he's going to go off at a price. I would agree. And he, he definitely likes mid on too. He's had, he had surprise win this year. He always has good form there. He's done really, really well since he's moved over there. So I definitely think he's a horse to look at in this race. Um, one race that I'm really excited about is the Dubai turf, because I think my favorite current active horse, um, he's in there and he has just been phenomenal at, since being stabled over in Dubai this year, uh, Lord Glitters. 
Absolutely. Just a quick one before we move on. Just a note on good effort that runs in in the Golden Shaheen. He's really closely related to Magni Kur. Um, his dam is a half sister. I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, but it just going back to your point about how um, this is not really a grade grade one. He's <laughs> taken a, re- a while to come to hand. He's definitely not a grade one horse in my mind. Um, he's uh, he's a front runner, and I think Frankie might have got got it wrong the last time. Canvas grabbed him late, but he'll be interesting to see how they ra- they race him again. Probably like that. But um, I quite I liked how they those two were so closely related. But yes. Lord Glitters, I mean, a horse of a lifetime. Like, I just, I can't, I'm always, you know, he can't, when he races over in the UK, he's such a solid yardstick because every Queen Anne at Royal Ascot, he turns up and he runs a good race. And every race he'll be thrown in, he will run solidly. Um, but coming into Maidan this season, I just thought, well, fair play to the connections, um, see how he does. But he's just been transformed, maybe by the new surroundings, maybe by the style of racing. Perhaps that's it, because, you know, we always have we have straight miles Um, and that that might be where he gets found out a little bit um, because these straight tough like miles, they you've got to be nearly sprinting quality um, to win them. And. I think he probably, as he gets a bit older, he probably, he needs to, and you've seen the way he's running horses down late on. It's kind of sort of taking his time a little bit, um, but it's suiting him. And um, look, he, I, I, you, I look back at his races, even back to the Bahrain Trophy, when he's fast finishing and he's just doing all his best work late on. You can't, you just can't, you, I think if you were, could bet in running, which is something that we can do over here. He's one of those horses that probably goes a bit bigger because of his style. Um, but this is tough. This is a brilliant race now. And he's going to have to improve again. Um, and whether he can, I'm not sure, because there's a horse in here. I think it's going to be really, really hard to beat. And I think that is Elsa Hale. Really like him. Really? Um, yeah. Um. I like he's got all the credentials to be the next big thing. Like he is a, by Dawawi out of Shiroko Star, half brother to Telecaster, who uh, was second in an Oaks and an Irish Go- Oaks. He's the thing about him is he's on he's still low mileage. He's only run seven times, um, and I just think he's getting better and better. Um, whereas a few of these horses, perhaps like Lord Glitters, are slightly overexposed. Um, I thought last time watching his run, um, he looked like he drifted slightly over to his right and it allowed Lord Glitters just to come through horses and take it up and win. Um, so yeah. you can't afford to do that. Um, but as I said, I think he's improving and learning each time. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm really sweet on him. And One also, more. he's he's William Buick's ride, and I think super enough said. <laughs> yeah, there. Um, one horse that really was intriguing to me here, aside from those two, was um, Lord North. I think this is a bit short for Lord North. I was really good. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. Like he ran excellent in the Breeders' Cup turf over one mile four. Why is he coming back to one mile one mile one? I don't get it. I, 
shocked that he wasn't in the Shima Classic. I thought, you know, probably not good enough to win the Shima. Um, he, he's a bit of a step behind probably Mogul and Mistress um, and Loves Only You. But I don't You're forgetting Walton Street. What? You're forgetting Walton Street. You can't, you can't, you can't not give Walton Street a look in that spot just because he's run so well at Maydam this year. Simseer is another one that's been decent. Um, Chronogenesis has had a very good year over in Japan. Loves Only You has had a lot of time off, but she's just like such a consistent horse over there. She could come over and pull a, um, oh, what is that? I just had a complete, um, Vivlos. She is a horse that kind of reminds me of Vivlos that could come over and kind of do the same thing. Gentle Donna, the same type of horse for Japan. I have high hopes for her. Um, I'm not sure where Channel Maker fits into this race. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, he'll be on the front. <laughs> There's only <laughs> one place he's going to fit into well, it, and that's on the front. Yeah, intrigued to know your guys' thoughts on like pace of this race. Like It's quite trappy in that <laughs> there's only 10 runners. Mogul drawn, he's drawn one, and Mishra drawn 10 is quite interesting. But I... Yeah. I, I don't know whether it will affect if it's a massive draw bias when it comes to this race. Channel Maker got the second hole, which I think is a really good spot for him. They don't have really as much of an opportunity to try to pin him in on the rail, but he's still going to get that same inside trip that he wants to be able to go up and on the lead. Um, I think they're going to do what they did in Saudi with him, just kind of play that catch me if you can. And as we know, Mistress has a closing kick. Mogul can close. So three can. Walton Street. <laughs> you you keen on Walton Street, Andy. You know, I real I just like the way he runs. He's he I've never seen him not fire at Dubai. And you've gotta take a big look at that. He's improving as far as the races are concerned. And I just I just think if you get a price on him, you might as well try to play it. Right. No, I like it. And I mean, you know, Dubai Futures, not necessarily a slouch. There's there's no bad horses in this race. Um, no. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's um, it's got all the potential to make a horse an absolute like legend if they can. Like if a Mishrif or a Mogul can win this, then that sets up a brilliant, brilliant beginning of their season um, from our perspective. But then again, I wouldn't be massively surprised if the mogul, because it took him a couple of goes last season to get really like get to mm-hmm. grips with things. Like he was very disappointing first time out at Royal Ascot. And then he ran, he ran all right. I mean, he couldn't catch Serpentine in the Derby. Um, and then he got going um, and he was brilliant in, in Hong Kong under Ryan Moore. Um, but I just, I feel like he's a kind of horse and I, I don't know, like your coat hanger, I might need to bring him out that out again. Like the, the horse you were um, comparing to, I, I, I still, I still don't massively trust him mm-hmm. probably a bit like his uh, full brother, Japan. You just don't know what you're going to get with them. Um, but he could be, he, he could be one that's just needed a bit more time. I think a lot of them can, can benefit from that. Um, but it could make this could make Mishrif like one of the you know iconic horses of our time, but it could equally just be you know under like an obvious Godolphin who rides um Maidan really well. So 
yeah, it's either going to crown a champion or it's going to make things very open again. Absolutely. Yeah. And I kind of looked at the um, Dubai World Cup kind of the same way. Um, some, this rarely ever happens because I follow a lot of, you know, racing from all over the world, but there's some horses quite honestly, that I don't even recognize in the World Cup this year that I kind of just like, do you really actually belong here? Like, <laughs> I'm not super familiar with Adjust Fiscal, Gifts of Gold, Hypothetical, Magna Hypothetical. No. Oh my God. Hypothetical was rated like mid-90s in the UK before he left John Gosden. To be in a Dubai World Cup, like he won first time out and then he was massively disappointing thereafter mm-hmm. yes he's run well I think he won a handicap in Maidan yep but I can't I when I saw his name I couldn't believe that I completely agree with I'll, you it was- I'll say I'll say one thing I think that the South American horses that came to Maidan they were all meant and and this is what they've been waiting for this is what they pushed for so a juice fiscal has been been a Maidan since the beginning of the meet he's run i think he's run a couple times there and he was he ran pretty solid in mock tomb challenge uh mm-hmm. last out so i don't i think i think he's gonna be tough to bet against i just think that i think out of all these horses i think military law is probably the one horse that's going to get overlooked because mm-hmm. i honestly don't think that the saudi cup was their main goal because, it, it's because when we had Laura King on, when we had Laura King on, she had specifically mentioned that this was a race that they were pointing for. Yeah, and they weren't expecting him to win round one of the Al Challenge, and he just blew the field up at 10 to 1. And I really liked him that day. Um, didn't run really well in Saudi Arabia, but I think he just needed the race, and they did opted against going to the other rounds of the Al Challenge. Um, the other winners of the Al Challenge races are in here. Um, Salute the Soldier. Um, I'm really interested in two of the U.S. runners, though. Jesus' team and Sleepy Eyes Todd both always run their races, but are they good enough to win this caliber of a race? Well, we said that this race wasn't the strongest that we've had. Right. Um, there's a lot of questions. Um, Magni Kerr being one of them, who I think I'm fascinated by, comes into it with a really interesting profile, like bred, bred for this. Like bred should... It, based on its breeding, it probably should be in the US running, not in France, um, by Magdaglia Doro out of an AP Indy mare. And it's like amazing, really. But it's done so. And Andre Fab does, don't think he brings many horses over um, to Maidan, correct me if I'm wrong. And at least definitely not for this race. Um, but I, I'm fascinated to know whether he's been prepped for this. He went to Shanti to run on your weather just to give him just to give him that that first try. Um, so he's a curious one, but he does need to prove it against some horses that have actually been kind of been there and done that around Maidan. Um, but like your US horses, I think if anything, and I think if anything, I agree with Andy, you've got to t- take the safe bet with the like of military law who has just has done it. And as you say, God, he went over to uh, Saudi and I think he must have won about 400 grand for finishing sixth. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it wasn't a bad trip going over there. Um, 
and he doesn't face Mishref in here. So it's um, back on safe ground. I was yeah, a little... I mean, Go ahead, Caitlin. I was going to say, I was a little surprised to see Mystic Guide wind up in here. I mean, I know he's the Godolphin runner. Um, with Maxfield, mm -hmm. he's some of their, um, one of their top horses over in these states. But I, I just feel like this is a bit much too soon for Mystic Guide. Um, you know, maybe he is good enough. He's definitely one of the highest rated horses coming into here. But uh, that was just something that really surprised me when they said he was making the trip. Perhaps like Magni Kur, that's why they're over. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, Magni Kur is six. So um, I don't know what they've been keeping him pretty under wraps. He's run eight times in his yeah. career. I don't know what, what they're, what, like, I, I, I kind of sort of forgot about him, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and he's one on like heavy ground. Like, I just can't see him being adapting as well. But um, that's probably the similar situation. You know, it's Godolphin wanting all their best horses they, they can find um, right. throughout the world <laughs> um, running here. So could be that could be why in a cynical from a cynical perspective. And that's the same with Gifts yeah, of I Gold. Mean, yeah. Yeah, I think getting back to the Americans real quick before we go to Gifts of Gold, I think Asus's team's probably the one horse that intrigues mm -hmm. but i don't know if i don't know if he's good enough to win a race where you have horses that have already proven themselves yeah so like gifts of gold has proven himself regardless and he's probably a little higher rated overall than his team so take a chance on him because with the American, with, with the money being commingled through the world, there's going to be some prices in this, in this, uh, in these races. I think a price that you can look out for, aside from probably military law, is uh, Chua Wizard, the Japanese runner. Ran okay in the Saudi Cup. I don't think that that's where they were pointing. He's done fantastic on the dirt over there won the japan cup dirt last season champion dirt horse um this is really what they've been looking forward to do for him and i wouldn't be surprised if this horse ended up in the states after this interesting yeah he was another what? one that went to saudi and didn't ever he wasn't unfancied was he that day no um he just didn't ever show up we just couldn't get involved right and he had a yeah, little bit of trouble Go ahead, Andy. He did. He did. He did have trouble. And, but you know what? He just, I, I just would draw a line through that race. I mean, yeah. if you draw a line through that race, that horse, that horse looks the part. Mm -hmm. um, one horse I did want to ask Laura about was the great collection. I, I, I find him to be so fascinating because I've watched his career in Maidan and he's just gotten better and better. But I think he's like one of those horses that's just underneath everybody else as far as, whether or not he can win this race. Yep. I, I would consider Salute the Soldier to be the same type of horse. I mean, yes, he did win round three of the Amok Tomb Challenge, but I don't think he is that good of a horse. I think he won that race because nobody else was in it. Everybody was in Saudi Arabia. Everybody was in America. So somebody mm -hmm. had to win the race. Um, I don't really consider him a factor in here. Hypothetical, great Scott, Capizano, same story. 
Well, Great Scott is one that I might wrote down. And again, he's really surprised me since he's left Tom Daskam and gone over to um he and he's gone over to Saudi. Um I he was obviously a huge price for the Saudi Cup, massive, and completely outrun his odds. But he had been winning um multiple times, but me beating horses that are second rate compared to what a Dubai World Cup should have. But he probably will run his race again um, for an each way place bet, whichever. But I, I just knowing knowing of him as a horse from what he was in his what it must have been his three year old career, he was and as a two year old he was a good two year old. But he he never he never really properly trained on beyond that. So he's just found good opportunities now in his new career. But this is a different ball game. Well, before we go, who do you think would be the horse that would be like your best bet or your best price bet on the day for Saturday? Well, I mean, there's a the the sprint we haven't discussed, um, and I really like Atlan Express. He's a three year old. Um, he had his first attempt to at Maidan last time. He got a really bad trip in, and when he got a break, he flew home. Um, second start, he broke badly too. He likes to be produced late by his rider. Um, and the second run, it looked like final song got the run of the race on the far side. But again, Akram Express was finishing off the race the best. This race always goes to seasoned, like hardy sprinters, blue point, soul power. So for three-year-olds, like this is, I I don't know. I could try to look through. You might know, Caitlin. Like, has there been any three-year-olds that won a race like this? Um, I've never, I've never seen three-year-olds in this race. Period. So when they said that Aklam Express and Cowan were in this race, I was shocked. I didn't even think it was eligible for three-year-olds. Amazing. Like fair play to the connections because that is ballsy and it's pain. And he's going to learn some good. Like he's going to learn his cut his teeth here and come in a big force for the sprinting scene over in, in back over at home. It's a really interesting race, this race. Like Charlie Appleby's obviously won the last two runnings with Blue Point, Jungle Cat. Space Blues is like the obvious candidate, mm-hmm. but is he an out-and-out sprinter? Like they say he's a different horse, he's stronger, he's quicker, um, he travels so well, which is ideal, but he, he's been running his best races over seven furlongs. So, you know, maybe class will prevail. I'm sure they're trying to, maybe they're trying to turn him into the next blue point. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but I just love, I don't think it's my best bet, but I just love the idea of Atlam Express in this race. And I think based on what he's done and how much he must be mentally learning uh, for such a young horse, he, and I don't know what the prices are, he could be an interesting place play, perhaps. Um, but like, you know, that's a race filled with depth and probably he's got our, the, the Europeans best challenges like equilaterals done nothing wrong. Um, but I don't like, I think he's done, he, I don't want him to have done all his best running prior to this, you know, I like right. horses that stayed a little bit in their locker. Um, but that's really interesting. And then obviously Kadem is in there as well. He only raced twice last summer. He, I think they've been thinking about this for a while. Um, Obviously, he's who's owned by Sheikh Hamdan now Shadwell, and it'd be brilliant for that story. But I, I do, yeah, I do really like Atlam Express. 
Um, and I would say my best bet will be Al Sahail, as I said earlier. I think he's good, has all the credentials to be, could be a superstar. I, th I think oh. I love it, equilateral in the in the turf sprint. I, I do too. They've been this is the point. This is this is another one of those where connections were pointing for this race, and the fact Frankie gets on board says enough for me to be like, mm -hmm. this horse is going to be well well meant for the spot. He, he's kind of a runner that reminds me a lot of what Lord Glitters has done this season over in Dubai. Mm -hmm. Kind of a little bit of a surprise grade mm -hmm. one type of performance. Like like you said, he hasn't done anything wrong, but it seems like a very out-of-the-box plan for him to be here and that this is what they've really been pointing toward. He's probably one of the favorites I have on the day. Um, I would say probably my best bet for the week Honestly, it would probably be Lord Glitters in the Dubai turf. Okay, what about we'll you? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, I actually like a horse in the Dubai Derby that I'm really, really high on. And that's the year the Uruguayan horse that drew the that's on the inside and drew the two hole in El Patriata. I think the added distance is probably gonna benefit. And he's probably going to come from a very, very far place. If, if the track plays the way it normally does on this day, he's going to be in it late. And I just, I just have liked this horse since he stepped foot in Dubai. Um, he's, he won a race here in January. He, he just looks the part. And so you can't go wrong with a horse like that, especially with, this, like I said, the South Americans basically have sent a ton of horses to Maidan this year, and this is one of those. Well, Jess, thank you so much for joining us today. It was <clears> super <throat> great to catch up and going to be an exciting weekend of racing, an exciting year. Mm -hmm. I know the flat just started over there again, and there's been some already really great performances from Coolmore Horses and beyond. So it was great to have mm -hmm. you on. It was so good to see you again. Oh, so good to see you. Thank you for having me. And yes, maybe we can catch up again before Royal Ascot or the Guineas or whichever, because as you say, lots of great horses. It's interesting this season because a lot of the Coolmore horses, because of the way the whole system and the whole race planning had to be thrown up in the air last year, a lot of horses were slightly backward and not racing and not, not performing to the way that they wanted to because everything just had to change. So I think a lot of the three-year-olds from Coolmore's perspective are going to be like eye-catching um, and their two-year-olds are going to be back in the their same sort of original system again and probably a bit more forward. So... I'm super excited for the guineas, um, 1,000, 2,000 guineas. Um, and Aiden O'Brien's doing lots of stable tours at the moment with his, his best horses. And I'm just hoping that we've got another superstar in our hands. And maybe that is Mishriff and he'll show that this weekend because European racing really needs it now that we are, we are lesser without an able. Absolutely. Thank, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks, Andy. It was nice to meet you. And good luck. Good nice luck. Nice to meet you, too. Can. Enjoy it. Yes. And you've been in the GOAT Zoom room for Caitlin Free. I'm Andy Villanueva. And we will see you next week 
with Harris Arbach. We're back in the GOAT Zoom room this week. I'm Caitlin Free, and he is Andy, of course. And we are joined this week by Sean Feld. Sean, it's great to have you. It's great to be back with you guys this week. Yeah, congratulations on the win. Yeah, thank you. That was a lot of fun. I was actually there in person, too, which was uh, made it even better. Nice. Don't even make a stop in Houston to come visit me. You just decided to go straight to New Orleans, right? I was coming from Ocala, so it would have been the opposite direction of Houston. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It would have been. So I've known your dad since before you were even born, and I've known Jude since for 30 years, too. Um, Obviously, you got your love from from your uncle and your dad and your dad, but I also know that your dad actually allowed you to do whatever you wanted to. So what made you decide to take this path? Um, Well, growing up, I would go to my uncle Jude's barn. um, And one of my first memories of going was I had asked my dad on like a Friday night, if he could take me to the track because he was working for Jude at the time. And I woke up without anyone waking me up. And like, I looked out the window, I'm like, it's way too late. Like he obviously forgot so I threw a fit. I was like four or five years old. <laughs> uh, my mom called him and he had to come get me to bring me back out to the track. So I've been wanting to do the track stuff for as long as I've wanted. And I would always get mad at my mom for not letting me go to the track growing up on the weekends because she thought it was a bad influence or whatever. Uh, but the minute I got a uh, driver's license, um, I was there all the time. I'm, I mean, I'm never not at the track you know, growing up. So unlike your dad and and Jude, you went you ended up going to Loyola High School, right? Yeah, Loyola High School in LA. So you um, you decided not to go to LaSalle. Well, I was between Loyola and LaSalle, and my mom <laughs> my mom pushed me towards Loyola, um, which Loyola was all boys and LaSalle was co-ed. So that was a little bit interesting, but. Um, I actually started a, it's called the turf club. I'm sure it's not around anymore, but it was a, a club at school for all the track people. It was like all five of us. Um, and it was mostly for the two teachers. I would run bets for them all the time. <laughs> it wasn't that far from Hollywood park. Um, so after school I would hang, I would run to Hollywood park before I'd ha- run home sometimes too. That's, Everybody that that's like- we have, Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's funny, Jude and I discussed this, like when I was at LaSalle High School, I would run bets for teachers. It's like, I think everybody that we've had on has said the same thing. That's exactly what I was going to say. I feel like everybody that we have had on here, were like, oh, I used to run bets for this teacher, the principal. And I'm like, this is such a foreign concept to me. Like, I didn't grow up like that. Well, it turned, I mean, it would just be like, hey, I, you know, they would find out I was a horse person. They'd be like, hey, who do, you, who do you like today after school? And I'll be like, oh, I like the, the three and the seventh race. And they'd be like, oh, here's here's 100 bucks. Play a couple of tries. And then on Friday, I would bring them back some money sometimes. And if not, they would give me some more money for the weekend. So it was uh, – this is back before internet gambling too. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not old, but I'm not young either. So the running of bets was a, a popular thing during my days in high school. And, and mine too, I remember Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday were get out of econ class because my econ professor knew I didn't want to be in class. So he let me go and run bets those days for him. So that was my A in econ. No, was, I, I should have got 
C's in Spanish class, but because I was the bet runner, I got A's <laughs> every semester. <laughs> so you, you end up going to uh, – you went to UK, right? Am I correct in that? Yeah, I went to the University of Kentucky. Um, Jude had moved back to Lexington when I was in high school, and I would visit him basically any spring break or winter break I had and loved Lexington. And I applied to like a university of Kentucky and Cal Poly Pomona was my safe school, which I'm actually wearing the Cal Poly Pomona sweatshirt still, <laughs> but I uh, got into both and went to university of Kentucky and then never moved back home. I've, I've been in Lexington for 15 years now. Wow. It's awesome city. Uh, I actually got approved to go to Cal Poly Pomona too for their equi-science program when I yeah, was in high school. Was and I chose I chose a racetrack instead of actually doing schoolwork because I figured that was going to probably make me learn more. Yeah. And you probably learned just as much, if not more. Yeah, for free. Yep. So you worked at Walmack, you worked at Spendthrift, you've done all these things as far as horse racing is concerned. You basically have the ins and outs how hard is it for someone your age to be able to break through like a barrier? Was it easier with your dad or, and Jude around or did you um, have to butt it, heads? They, they helped a lot, especially with Spendthrift. Um, the Walmack job was through a friend of mine. It, so the market crashed in 2008 and I graduated college in 09 and I couldn't find, I couldn't get a job at all. So I would just work the sales for, either my dad or a consigner doing cards and um, was talking to my buddy and I'm like, I really need something. I had never really worked in the breeding side before at all. And he goes, well, we need some help at Walmack. Um, and it was strictly commission only. Um, so I was working for free. It was more or less an internship. And I learned a lot about breeding, uh, selling seasons and stuff, internet marketing and stuff. And because I had known Wayne through my dad, I went to him at Spendthrift and told him what I had learned. And he hired me on commission based as well um, for a year. And then after a year, they hired me on salary. Um, so it took me a while to get a quote unquote real job um, still. Um, but uh, it all obviously has worked out so far. Yeah, just a little bit, right? I mean, just a little bit. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is a lot of people don't know this. My first job on the racetrack before going over to Dick Mandela was to work for George Vogel, who actually had a lot of horses with B. Wayne Hughes. Mm -hmm. And the horse that I used to rub was Restless Con. Okay. At one time. And that's like 1990, 91. And I remember going, who's this B. Wayne Hughes guy? And now it's like spendthrift everywhere, spendthrift here, spendthrift there. Mm -hmm. Where do you, so, you know, you, you've, you've pretty much have made a really good niche for yourself as far as like what you do with Climax, Climax Stallions is your big, your big project that you do right now. Um, Mr. Moname's in there, Bullet Train, Curlin to Mischief, who I think is a half to, or a full to Beholder, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, he's, a, he's a half. He's a half. Because Leslie's ladies is damn right. Correct. Yeah. Answer that. Okay. 
Don't leave me hanging here, Caitlin. You're supposed to be the pedigree expert. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, kind of explain your venture with Climax Science and kind of what you've really got going on so everybody kind of knows the whole gist of it. Um, so my other uncle, Mark, he um, made money outside of the horse business and was always intrigued with my stories about spendthrift and how, you know, into mischief. Uh, when I was working there, no one wanted to breed him at all. Um, and now he's uh, probably the best sire of all time, if not number one, number two. And so, you know, overseeing him at Christmas and just talking about stuff. And then my dad came up with the idea to bring Bullet Train over from Europe. And that kind of kickstarted Climax. It wasn't called Climax at that point, but started with Bullet Train. And then um, Judmont actually had owned um, Curl into Mischief at the time. He was named Headquarters. And uh, I wanted to buy him um, to stand, but they, they, they couldn't come up with a price. Long story short, they ran him through the Keeneland November sale and, uh, we bought him for $20,000, um, which was a lot less than we thought we would have to pay for him. Changed his name to Curl into Mischief, uh, had a bunch of success with him early on. And then that kind of kick got us to thinking we should try it out as a proper company. We started with Climax Stallions, came up with my aunt of all people came up with the name Climax Stallions. It's obviously a double entendre name. Um, and so uh, the next stallion we got was um, Editorial, who's a half to Uncle Mo by Warfront. And then St. Patrick's Day is a full brother to Pharaoh. And then Mr. Monomoy is our latest one, um, which is a half to Monomoy girl, obviously, who won uh, the Risen Star himself so obviously our common thread well and along along the way we had Haynesfield for a season um we bought him off of Airdrie in Windstar and stood him in California um and then got a big offer from Saudi Arabia for him so we only owned him for a year but sometimes when the offer is too good to refuse you have to take it so um but other than Haynesfield our the common thread has been you know horses with big families um that are halves or fulls to some legendary horses <clears throat> and luckily right now, Curlin to Mischief, he was a sire of a, of a champion, a two-year-old cowbred last year. So he's obviously throwing the same blood as into Mischief Beholder. And I know Mendelssohn's got a really big chance of being a big sire too. So um, it helps you breed, get more mares, because a lot of times you have some really good racehorses without pedigree. And by the third or fourth year of them being at stud, you kind of lose any sort of momentum you had because – there's been other good racehorses come along the way, but with the deeper families, people tend to latch onto them a little bit longer than, than others. I really like that kind of adding in the edge of like the siblings. I think that is so important. That's something a lot of people miss. I know the little work I've done in bloodstock, that would be something that I would really go after like when looking for mares for clients I kind of look at the mare side and look like deeper in like who are you related to how close up is it and I think a lot of those horses you can get them for far less than what you're thinking that you could get them for like curling to mischief twenty thousand dollars that's that's insane for that family yeah I mean that it was before Mendelssohn Mendelssohn helped us out a lot yeah I mean, Beholder was still racing and I think into mischief had only gotten to 40,000 at that point, which, you know, you say only, but it's <laughs> compared to what heights he's gotten to 40 is, is a drop in the, in the bucket. But um, yeah, with the bigger families, you do get lucky and get some better blood behind you. Like Mr. Monomoy's brother just won again. 
Um, Uncle Mo is on fire. He he was not as hot as he was back when we bought um, editorial, but um, it, it really helps with an extra layer of possibilities of, of free advertising, basically. So, so sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you have, I know these, they're kind of like located in different places. Do you have an interest of maybe buying a property and starting your own like stallion farm? I think on our master plan, that's definitely in the cards. Um, we want to try the regional markets uh, first. Mm -hmm. um, one, you can not have to spend so much to have one that's relevant. Um, in order to be a decent sire in Kentucky, you need to start, you need to spend millions to get one that is worth, you know, trying out. Um, where in the regional markets, you can get them as low as $20,000 and have a chance. But hopefully down the line, we, we, our plan is to do one or two a year, um, which we learned that learned that from Wayne Hughes. Um, you always want to keep the pipeline rolling. And if we can keep one or two a year, eventually we're going to have one or two that need a place to stand in Kentucky. And I think maybe a five to 10 year plan would be, would be to have a place in, in, in locally. But in the meantime, we're learning the pros and cons of which States we like and don't like. And um, it's been a learning, big learning process, but um, the longer we're at it, the better we'll be at it too. So there's there that. was, uh, so I have like two, two questions real quick, but the first one is, do you feel that, because you guys own these stallions, you guys are able to be a little bit more patient than say the ones that people spend over millions of dollars with and they don't get the results right away. Oh yeah. Without having a mortgage on a farm, it definitely, uh, we can be picky. Um, we have had years where we couldn't find anything. Um, and there's been years where we've been offered multiple. We actually bought, um, the full brother to gun runner, um, last November. Um, and we were on the fence. Well, unfortunately, he got hurt. We were going to run him this year. Um, but we were on the fence of maybe breeding him this year. But when we got Mr. Monomoy, it kind of relaxed our thoughts of not having to stand him right away. And obviously, if um, with Gunrunner having his first foals running this year, um, that'll help a lot if he's leading freshman sire. Um, and if he's not leading freshman sire and he's not that good, then we don't have to stand him. So <laughs> we're in a good spot with a horse like him. I think the way that, that uh, three chimneys did the whole gun runner thing is pretty impressive as far as how they went about picking the horses that he was going to be standing to. They didn't just say, okay, well, if you're going to throw that money at him, we're going to take him. I mean, they basically looked at every single step, every single dam and, with a fine tooth comb went and looked at Nick's and made sure that it was going to be the perfect, perfect combination, which doesn't really happen a lot anymore because people are like, Oh, we need the money. So let's, let's do it. But, you know, getting back to the whole looking for stallions and all that, there was a horse that Asmussen ran down here in Houston. Um, last year, right before COVID, and he had finished second in the hopeful. He was a son to tap it. And he was running for $5,000. And I'm like, he's a colt. He just finished second in the hopeful. He's running for 5000 You buy him and you stand him at stud at, in Houston, in Texas, you're probably going to make some money off of him because he's a tap it. And people love to breed the tap it. But, you know, he, he ends up not running anymore. And 
you know, I should have, I should have just pulled the trigger and bought them and then decided what to do with them next, but I hadn't gotten everything together yet. Was he stuck? I tried to do what? I don't know. Well, I was telling I was telling Sean something. I was waiting for him to say something. Oh, oh I didn't know how I was supposed to respond. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the problem the problem with a horse like that is there's a lot of inputs. Uh, like to get in to get on True Nicks is like a thousand a year. Um, I mean, to feed him alone, depending on the farm, we we pay as little as like fifty a day and as high as seventy a day, which is a lot more expensive than than just owning a mare on a farm. Yeah. Um, the to get on the blood horse. Uh, that's like three or four grand right there. And then a couple of ads, all of a sudden your $5,000 horse turns into a $20,000 horse. And it's, uh, believe me, you should see the names of horses that come on my desk of people wanting me to buy. And uh, I have zero interest for, and then I find out what they sold them for after. It's not very pretty. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's the game's becoming, it's obviously shrinking. And it's becoming the, the distance between the haves and the have nots is as far as it's ever been. So, um, you know, even with our stallions, if we get 50 mares, we're excited where, you know, you can't get 50 mares in Kentucky and, and have it work. So, you know, what being a regional market, um, we, we play on a different curve than the bigger markets, but at the same time, our costs are the same too, but maybe our initial costs aren't as high, but you know, it, it's not cheap to, own a stallion. Where I was you... going. Go ahead. We keep, we keep doing this. <laughs> I was going to ask you kind of um, what your success for your stallions looked at last year, like kind of what their number of mares they got at was kind of where the sweet spot you think is. Cause obviously, like you said, it's much different than Kentucky because 50 mares in Florida or California is like a hundred in mm -hmm. Kentucky. It's, it's totally different. Well, we got lucky with St. Patrick's Day last year. Um, we were the only first-year sire in Florida. Um, he bred 116 mares, um, which was wow. way more than we thought. Um, so we got really lucky there. A editorial was actually stuck in Peru um, due to COVID. That's problems. right. So he got zero in America. <laughs> and then Curlin the Mischief, he got 33, I believe, which wasn't as many as we were hoping for, but California – as, as you both know, has had nothing but issues, um, right. you know, two years ago with the track problems. And then last year, the COVID time hit California, probably there just a, earlier than most. And they latched onto it longer than most. So um, there was yeah. a lot of uncertainty um, last year. We got a lot of less mares from out of state than normal. We normally get a bunch from Washington and, and um, Arizona and Oregon. And that kind of dried up last year because of COVID. Um, this year, um, it looks like uh, St. Patrick's Day, we're hoping to get like 75. Um, editorial, we're hoping to get 25, 30. Um, Krill and the Mischief already has like 40 to his book right now. So we're hoping to get to that 50 mark. What and about Bullet Mark Train? Boy, sorry? What about Bullet Train? Oh, so Bullet Train, he's in Ireland right now. Um, we leased him to a, a national hunt farm. And uh, so he breeds steeplechase horses. His first crop uh, just turned two. So they don't start really running in Ireland until they're four. Um, but he's doing great. They love him. Um, he's, you know, it's one of those things. Turf racing's always had a problems getting, you know, going in America. It's a lot more popular now than it was when Bullet Train was around. Um, you know, if all things were perfect, he would have had a better chance in America. 
ultimately though he got you know not the best kind of mares because he was in Kentucky you get the lower level stuff with the lower level stallion and they just weren't that fast at the end of the day they uh they won a lot of races but for a lot of lower level competitions and unfortunately to stand in a, in Kentucky you need to be you know a top level stallion and we had been shuttling him in Australia. Um, he got a lot of good mares down there, but the same sort of thing. He, he just, uh, a lot of winners, but at the lower level tracks. He actually just had a horse hit the board in a group one in Australia, which is kind of exciting, but um, he's, he'll have a really good chance as a jump sire. So we're pretty excited for, yeah, it's a long, long time to wait, but um, <laughs> it'll be fun when they start running again. I was, I was always a really big fan of him when he was on the track and the type of success that of course Frankel and recently Noble Mission have had. I mean, he's, he's got more speed than they do and he's by Sadler as well. So arguably he's got the better pedigree than they both do. Yeah. I mean, that was our uphill battle trying to get married to him initially was Noble Mission had come in his second year. Um, and ultimately it's hard to convince people to breed to the rabbit. Um, mm-hmm. so you have to be a good horse and uh, Henry Cecil, be, turned him into the rabbit because he said he was the only horse that could keep up with Frankel in the mornings. Um, so, I mean, the horse had a world of talent. He was second choice in the Epson Derby. Mm-hmm. So he had the talent had the speed. One of the smartest horses I've ever been around. Um, he threw really good looking babies, but unfortunately for American racing, it just it wasn't meant to be. Can you, um, can you, what's the word? You, you guys have had a lot of success as far as like a family-owned business. You guys had Miss Temple City, um, Hot Rod Charlie's another one. But, I mean, you picked out Beholder. And um, I remember I remember having dinner with uh, Janine Painter, who's a Gallup girl at, with uh, Richard Mandela. And we're all sitting around and she goes, Dick has this filly, man. She is a freak of nature. She is unreal. If Dick can ever figure out a way to calm her down, she's going to be a monster. And she told us the name, and I remember going, okay, I'm going to follow this filly because Janine rarely says that about any horse she's ever been on. And, I mean, obviously, you know, she's be, she's probably my favorite mare of all time. Um, what what drew her to you? Was it the pedigree? Was it, was it the way she looked? Because I mean, she looks fantastic. Um, well, initially it was her looks. Um, it, it, there's, it's hard to, when you try to dis- describe a horse that you like at a sale, it's very hard. Cause it's, uh, my dad has a good analogy. It's like when you're at a bar and you're with like three buddies and this girl walks in and only one of the four like thinks they're attractive it's the same it's the same mentality not everyone liked her um she was only a hundred thousand hundred eighty thousand as a yearling uh luckily for us she was a half to into mischief but when we were doing our first looks i just do wall shows and i i rarely look at the pedigree and if the i like it it's on the list why i put her on the first list the second guy went to go look at her and uh she wasn't on the list and i'm like hey how come hip what 300 wasn't on the list like oh she was okay but she's by henny hughes and wayne won't buy anything by henny hughes because henny hughes was a bad sire and uh i said well let you know seth and ned 
determine that. Don't, you know, don't play God yet. Well, just kept, we just kept bringing her back on, putting her back on the list, putting her back on the list. And ultimately they told Wayne, Hey, we like a half into mischief. And into mischief was Wayne's all time favorite horse, even back then. Um, and luckily Wayne bought him, bought Beholder. And uh, yeah, I mean, as Brit, when she was getting broken, I never really heard many stories of if she was good or bad, but I had a feeling they liked her when, I found out Mandela was mad. She didn't win first time out, which he's not one to win a whole lot first time out. So if he thought she was good enough to win first time out, then she was obviously going to be an okay horse. And uh, when she won second time out at Delmar, I mean, it was about as impressive of a maiden win as you can get. Her, her debut at Hollywood Park against executive privilege. I remember she went off at like 15, 20 to one or something like that. And um, she made this monster run around the turn. I mean, such a quick turn of foot, and then she flattened out, right? And I'm like, man, that Philly, that Philly's going to be fast. And I remember Janine saying a couple weeks later after she won her maiden, she goes, man, if he ever is able to, like, get her to go around two turns and at some point just learn to relax a little bit, she's never going to get beat. And I remember she ran – uh, two-year-old's allowance for the Breeders' Cup. That was her prop for the Breeders' Cup. Mm -hmm. Juvenile fillies, and I'm like, single? I'll single her. And so I singled her. That was like my biggest score ever on the track because I think the pick five with her as a single was $27,000, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, that works, but this filly's a monster. I, I don't think I ever did not bet her. She was so awesome, and I mean, that's great. Now, if I would have done the same thing with Hot Rod Charlie, I would have looked like a genius. <laughs> yeah. If only I bet on him on Breeders' Cup Day, I would I would have made a big score. So what, what got you attracted to Hot Rod Charlie? I mean, I mean, I see why you like him, but for those that may not know the pet, not, not know how to look at a, blood, at a horse, uh, explain it. Well, so he... We bought him originally as, a, I mean, he was a pinhook. We, he, we weren't ever really planning on racing him. Um, but we've, over the years, we've learned if we're going to pinhook him, we have to be, you know, we're ready and willing to be owners of them as the racehorses too. So um, when we were looking for pinhooks, um, we always try to find horses that aren't 100% turned out because um, it's hard to improve on ones that are basically ready made. And he wasn't, we didn't know this until after the sale, but uh, he just didn't look a hundred percent. Like we couldn't really put our finger on it, but he had all the parts, you know, big shoulder, correct legs, um, good walk on him. Um, so we bought him for 17. That's how good looking he was for an Oxbow. Um, Cause Matoli had only won a, a listed stake at that time and hadn't run. Uh, we bought him in February and I don't think Matoli had run since Preakness Day. So it was quite a long break. He had been working in the morning. Um, it turns out Matoli was sick, and that's why he was in that sale. I mean, he wasn't sick during the sale, but he had was supposed to sell on the November sale at the dispersal uh, for Ed Cox and was sick, and they decided to just give him some time. So he was not just not the perfect horse. So that's why we thought he'd be a big pinhook. And you know, the summer kept going and our original plan was to sell them out at the sale in California. Phasic Tipton had a new sale out there and that was the plan. We even had the, we had the consigner lined up. We had everything lined up. 
And then Matoli just kept winning and winning and winning. And uh, we decided that he was too good of a, a prospect to take to California. And so we took him to Phasic Tipped in October and uh, got 110 from him. And uh, now he's turned out to be a good horse. <laughs> Where do you where do you think uh, where do you think California racing is going to go? I mean, there's so many issues with it. Not a not a lot of dams. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of racetracks to run at. The stallion the stallion roster isn't as strong as it used to be. Where you had a ton of horses. So where do you think that's going to end up? Um, I it's hard to say. I mean, I, it's it's doing a lot better. Uh, now than I thought it would be as quickly as things went south. Um, I thought it would keep going south. Um, it seems to us have plateaued. Um, I'm interested to see how the ship and winds have, you know, works this summer um, at Del Mar. Um, it's the best program around. Um, and they're throwing a lot of money to get some new, you know, flesh out there. And if they can keep the momentum going and not have any more problems, you know, not only with breakdown situations, but legislation issues and, you know, no COVID. I mean, they got hit with a pretty big whammy um, back to back. And uh, I mean, the COVID would have been a death blow to most jurisdictions, but California has been so big over such a long haul. Um, they keep hanging in there and if they can hang in there, if they can go through a year with no problems at all, I, I could definitely see an upswing in, in some, in the inventory out there. How are they going to, how are they going to manage um, purse structures and all that with, you know, no racinos or no other way of doing it other than the fact that they get their money from takeout? Well, I mean, they've gone this far. I mean, in a perfect Yeah, that's world. true. In a perfect world, they would have the Racinos, um, but considering that they're the second or third highest purse structure in the country without any extra help means that the infrastructure is there for it. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, as far as if they had the magic ferry, you know, that gave them some a little extra money, it'd be even bigger than it is at, the, at this moment. So Caitlin likes to play a game. So I'm going to let Caitlin play this game and uh, leave it to her. And take yourself off of mute because that's usually a good thing. Uh, that happens every time. Um, okay. So obviously this is a little bit different since you do have horses. Um, a lot of people that we play this with don't. So it's a little bit cooler, but um, it's still cool with you. Um, so <laughs> if you had to have any trainer for any horse, completely disposable income you could use whoever wherever who would it be oh that's gonna be a hard question um for the that would be i mean west coast is baffert obviously um don't have don't have chappy get mad at you if he hears this east coast um it would probably be grand motion on the east coast and then the midwest I mean, yeah, Chapman or um, uh, David Ryder is one of my newer guys. He's, he's my age. Um, he worked for Bill Mott, and uh, he's really good. And I think he's – if he gets the proper chances, he could be as big as anybody out there, I think. He's actually about- a really good trainer. 
What about Jockey? Um, the best Jockey is Flavian Pratt, for sure. Okay, last one. If you do, you, do you really work with mares a lot? Or are you mostly just stallions? Well, I mean, I don't. I, we own mares. I mean, I don't. Okay. Know, I'm not out there palping them, but we own them. <laughs> so, any stallion, oh, any into place, into mischief, into mischief, into mischief, into mischief. Don't need to say anything else. Whatever the question is, it's into mischief. I mean, I, okay. uh, Keeneland's uh, sales. Uh, Jeffrey Russell has a. Um, a freshman tire contest every year with like hundreds of people. And I was the only one to pick into mischief. I've, I've been a believer since Spendthrift days. I obviously was a little biased because I worked for Spendthrift, but he's thrown horses from day one until the day he dies. He'll be throwing grade one horses and they run through anything, you know, the turf dirt, long, short, they could run them on new circle boulevard and he's been winning races out there too so it's he's by far the best and I, I think he's better than stormcat i did a lot of research on on stallions like that in college and it's crazy how good into mischief is and it's he continues to do it the older he gets too i like it well we appreciate you coming on um i'm glad you came on you know we'd rather have uh, people in the industry come on and discuss their their product and all that because I think it's more important than who do you like tomorrow. I mean, we all do that. Um, but we appreciate you coming on. You and I have known each other forever, it seems like. And, you know, it's a shame we couldn't get your dad on here. But like I told you on text, you know, <laughs> Jude could figure out how to work this thing. Your dad yeah, should have been able to come on. <laughs> The older Bob gets, the more he'd understand it. He's lucky to even read his text messages half the time. Does he have, out of curiosity, does he still wear shorts? Oh, yeah, 24-7. <laughs> well, he, he did wear jeans. He did wear jeans at the Louisiana Derby because we didn't know what the protocols were. And the last thing I told him, I said, I'm not driving all the way down here for you to watch it from the gates. So we better be prepared. So we both wore jeans, even though it was a little, it was a little warm, but... Um, it all worked out. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming on, and uh, we appreciate everything you guys do. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate have, being on. That was a goat Zoom room. Stay tuned. We will have uh, Racing TV's Jess. I forgot her last name already. Stafford. Stafford. Next. <laughs>